0: You may or may not remember that uh, uh, July of this year, uh, I had delivered a sermon here titled The Glory of God Among His People. And uh, so this is kind of like the other bookend to the same stream of thought. Uh, The title uh, today is The Temple of God Among His People. And in some ways follows the same path. When I was a uh, boy we used to do this at this little say and I'll try to do it backwards here so you can say we would say like here's the church here's the steeple open the doors see all the people is that something that is still done among in in nursery school or not uh so I thought of this because it emphasizes something that we uh, are seeking to diminish And that is the idea that we call our physical building the church. Now, this is not a novel thought. You, of course, are uh, aware of this. In fact, uh, this is not the point of the sermon here, but uh, I think at least we should remember to refer to this building as the church house, to distinguish it from the church. Uh, I actually prefer Meeting House, as did the Quakers and i think the brethren and uh and i think the the methodists early on and some anabaptists as well they didn't refer to their places where they met as church houses they were meeting places or meeting houses but uh, that's not the point so to uh, to transport ourselves from the 21st century in america to uh With its steepled church houses, turn to Acts 17. Uh, And and yes, I am watching the clock here, and so uh, uh, we'll cut short. I'm going to assume on some Bible passages that you know them, and I'll just refer to them instead of turning there to read them. But I do want to uh, turn to Acts 17. Acts 17. Uh, And I'm going to uh, begin reading in uh, verse 22. So Paul standing in the midst of the Areopagus. So this is in the King James version. It will read Mars Hill. Uh, so in Athens there was the Acropolis. It's like the, the 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 hill upon which you know many temples stood, and Mars Hill or the Areopagus was like an adjoining hill, and it was where like the there was a a a, a like a government court there and uh, and temples, and it's kind of an extension of, of the Acropolis. So Paul, standing in the midst of, uh, say, Mars Hill, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar to, with this inscription, To the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men or with hands. The Greek literally means, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. God does not dwell in a temple made with hands. Now, New Testament believers in their culture evidently needed to have this reinforced because Paul also wrote the same thing to the Ephesians. And what he said, uh, what he wrote there is recorded in uh, Ephesians 2 and uh, verse 17 through 22. Ephesians 2 verse 17 through 22. So in your mind's eye, like stay in ancient Rome, in the Roman Empire. Like, keep yourselves in in that land where, take your, let me say it again, take yourself out of 21st century America with its steeple church houses and put yourself into the Roman Empire in these days when Christianity and Christian churches were just starting. And when you look around, instead of large edifices of Christian worship, you would see large edifices or temples to idols. Okay, and, and uh, Ephesians two, beginning to read in verse seventeen, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So there's this building being built. It's a dwelling place for God through his spirit. Peter wrote the same thing, uh, or the same sentiment uh, in uh, 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5. 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5. Uh, a familiar passage here, but I'd like for us to hear this in this context. As you come to him, a living stone, remember there's a building being built, there are stones being, it's not limestone, it's not sandstone. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, then turn your Bibles to first uh, Corinthians. This is actually the text that I want to uh, refer to. Or be be uh, preaching from today is First uh, Corinthians three, where God uh, says through Paul, and and I'm I'm I'll be referring here to verses uh, from five through twenty three. So we're not going to read this whole passage, uh, but in this passage, several things are said. One of them is that, uh, uh, where Paul asks the question, he said, "Do you not know?" that you are God's temple and that the, God's spirit dwells within you. And then he, he says, kind of in addition to that, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Because God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let each one take care how he builds. Okay, And, and we'll, we'll, uh, uh, we'll dive a little deeper into this. But first, uh, by, the, by the way, there are two places in the letter to the Corinthians that Paul says, you are the temple of God. One of them is recorded in chapter 6, which is speaking about personal purity and says, do you not know that you, meaning us individually, personally, are the temple of God and God dwells in you. Here he is speaking in, in chapter 3, he's speaking of how we as a church, we should be thinking about this corporately now individually too but corporately god dwells within uh within the, the church okay so so uh, go with me in your mind's eye suppose that it's 60 AD you are a child living in Priene a greek city about 10 miles north of Miletus and uh, 35 miles south of Ephesus that would mean that Ancient Priani today, the ruins of the city are in on the west coast of Turkey. So your city is located high on a ridge overlooking the Aegean Sea. The white pillars of a large temple to the goddess Athena dominates the sky. Everything else is built around it. Seen from the sea in the morning sunshine, that's up there on the bluff, It glistens like a shining beacon, calling people far and wide to come and worship and receive of the comforts that Athena provides from the difficulties of life. If your fire goes out, if you lack food, if you need cool water to drink, here in Athena's temple, you will find it shared with all the community that has need. But recently, your father was in Ephesus. While your father was in Ephesus, He heard a Jewish rabbi teach about how the one true God that dwells in heaven sent his son to earth to die for the sins of all mankind, and that this Jesus was crucified by the Roman government at the instigation of the Jewish high priest and was buried. But amazingly, his grave could not contain him, and he rose again and returned to heaven. But while he was here, he brought his kingdom from heaven to earth. And that is what Paul was now preaching in Ephesus and everywhere, calling everyone to forsake their worship of idols in their temples and to worship only this one true God and his son, Jesus Christ, who still lives among his people, so they claim, by his invisible Holy Spirit. It all seemed far-fetched to you. But your father and mother no longer go to the temple of Athena. In fact, they avoid it in every way possible. Instead, they go each week to a friend's house where they meet with others who believe in this new way. And they eat together what they call Jesus' body and blood. And they hear more teaching about how Jesus wants his people to live in the kingdom of God of heaven here on earth. Your father is becoming one of their teachers. So today you are playing near the city center with your friend and the sun is hot. Let's go to the Athena temple for a drink of water, your friend says. There's always a pot of cool water that anyone may drink from. So as you savor the refreshing drink, your friend suddenly asks, where is your temple? You instinctively recoil. As you think about the everyday house, that your parents go to. There's nothing special about it. It's just a house like any other. And you wonder, where does the one true God from heaven live among his people? Does he live in a beautiful marble temple that will last forever? If not, then where does he live? And from where does he serve his people? Fire and water and the necessities of life, like cool water on a hot day. So why am I telling you this uh, fictitious but historically based story? I was with a tour that visited Priene, and as we walked through the ancient ruins, the broken pieces of white marble columns of Athena's temple lay strewn about. We stood by the threshold of a house that is believed to have been the first house church in Athena in uh, Priene. So Athena today is a figment of history. Remaining columns of the temple lie broken and and uh, strewn about, brought down by earthquakes. I might mean, this is a very earthquake prone area. And uh, so most of those temples were uh were like leveled by earthquakes. While the kingdom of heaven has grown to all parts of the globe. But I'm also telling you this Story to illustrate this great truth and to help us think about where does God live among his people? And from where does he provide the things that we need to overcome the difficulties of life? Where do we go for... By the way, in the ancient world, when your fire went out, it was a catastrophe because you would not want just like any old fire in your fireplace. So you would go to the temple to get holy fire. So does uh, can you see some parallels here about the Holy Spirit? <laughs> so if you w- needed water, if you ran out, of, you could go to the temple for water, cool water that is always available. So where does God dwell today and where do these things come from today for his people? So uh, in the few minutes that are left, uh, we're going to get, uh, this will be kind of like a whistle-stop tour through the Old Testament, okay? So, uh, we won't be reading any passages, I'll just may, may, be referring to uh, different uh, places in the scripture. But let's say that starting in Genesis, God's first people lose their face-to-face relationship, as you know, Adam and Eve are driven from the garden. And, uh, from the pre- his presence. Now, I read with purpose, that passage that said, for where Paul said, "You're far away, but you're being brought near," because uh, there. So when Adam and Eve were driven from God's presence in the Garden of Eden, there was a guard place so that there would not be inadvertent or accidental uh, like contact where God's people drew too close to the tree of life, and uh, and there's a sense in which uh, this is kind of like begins the long path. For edging back into the presence of God by His people, God dwells uh, dwelt among His people in the Old Testament era. He, he did dwell among His people, uh, and the story of Moses in one respect could be seen as an account of how God is drawing as near as possible to His people. The uh, that in fact I would say that you know how we talk about how that the blood of Christ is a scarlet thread through the like from the entire Bible. Okay, and uh, and. Uh, you may not remember, but I had suggested that the, the glory of God is like a golden thread through the entire uh, uh, Bible. And I'll say this morning that I just chose the color blue because I somehow I thought blue refers to the Holy Spirit. I'm not quite sure why I thought that. but But let's say it's a blue thread, like God dwelling among his people with his spirit is a blue thread through the entire Old Testament. From Genesis to Malachi. God dwelt among his people in a series of physical buildings, beginning with the tent of Moses, and then going from the tent of Moses into the tabernacle. And then there came the time when uh when the uh it was David who wanted to build a house for God to dwell in, and God said, Not you, but your son Solomon. And so David you know, assembled the materials, and then there was a house built and and there is a a uh, uh it's it's like dramatic reading to read of how when they dedicated the temple how the glory of god filled the house in such a way that you know, you couldn't even uh, uh see and so the time came when, when and so god dwelt among his people in the holy of holies there was an ark on top of the ark there were cherubim and in between the cherubim's wings There God dwelled among his people and once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. So access with God was limited. That temple was destroyed. A new one was erected. When the new one was built, if you recall that the the text says that the old men wept because they remembered the glory of the former temple and it's always like hard to know. It wasn't because this one was kind of humble by comparison. Or were they, was it just nostalgia and they were tears of joy? I'm not quite, you know, the, the text doesn't quite tell us this. Though it is noteworthy that the text never says that the glory of God came to dwell in that second temple. Okay, so, the next presence of the glory of God among his people is mentioned in the Gospel of John when John says and we beheld his His glory. And once again, God was, was uh, uh, there among his people. So, Jesus interacted with the temple. What are some of the things we know about what Jesus did in the temple? He cleansed it. How many times? And, and it's actually and, and in, in such a way that it makes us cringe just a little bit, because we're not quite sure what to make of those that whip, and so on. But uh, that's not the point for today. Another thing he did, he wept over it. Now let me ask you, when Jesus was crucified, what was, he was tried before the crucifixion. What was the, the charge that was brought against Jesus? We all will always say Jesus was an innocent man giving his life for all of mankind. And that, that's true. But what was in the, in the historical chain of events? What did they charge him with? He's going to destroy the temple. They said, or they said he said he would destroy the temple and he re- rebuild it again in three days. Was he guilty of that charge? The brave ones among you are seeing that, yes, he was. So what's going on here? You see, God is drawing near to his people again. And the Apostle Paul, as he is writing to the Corinthians, says, and don't you make a mistake about this. Do you not know that he's dwelling in you? In fact, in, in, the, in 1 Corinthians uh, 3, the metaphor changes from agricultural to architectural. He's talking about planting, Apollos, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the, it doesn't matter who did, because God gives the increase. And then the metaphor changes into an architectural one, and he says, you're a building. There's a building being built. Jesus is the foundation, and He said, "I am the master builder." Now, he thought, I don't think that was like a a, a, a statement of, uh, of authority. He was just saying that I myself am not the foundation. Now, think about these were that these were the Corinthians who were saying, "I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos and I'm of Cephas and uh, and so on." Uh, he said, "Jesus is the foundation." but I am called to be the general contractor. Jesus is, and Paul was the one who was bringing all the trades together here to build this building. And this building is a temple where God is going to dwell. And then he said, let everyone take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, now listen to this list here. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, or the King James Version says stone, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Now in this case, we are not talking here about a, a time of reckoning to, as to whether you are a believer or not. We're talking about At the time of reckoning that will determine whether what you have built in this temple that God is building, the building material that you and I are, whether it will stand the test of fire. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as by fire. And then he says, do you not know? you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. And if anyone destroys this temple, God will destroy him. So why take such care? I'm going to list just just uh, uh, several reasons. One of them is that God will destroy. How is this? Did you notice if you list in, in that list of building materials, it as you read down the list from the top to the bottom, There is diminishing value, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. But as you read down through that list, there is increased flammability. So I don't mean this to be snarky in any way, but like there's the possibility that some of us will be arriving in heaven smelling like smoke. So how, how is this, like with these, like gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble? Like it, does God just come, like does he go, and through our local church here that's a part of, of the, the temple of God, does he give some gold, some silver, some, uh, like some, unfortunately somebody, just some straw? Uh, actually, no. I, I wouldn't say that. It, it, all, of, all of us receive some of everything. But the day is coming, and by the way, in the text, it's with a capital D. The day, there is a day coming, a time of reckoning, where the material with which we work will either stand the test of fire or burn up. And the reward that God gives is for that which stands the test of fire. Why am I saying this? As a church, we are right now, going through this time of testing or, or a time of, uh, of discerning uh, our brotherhood agreements. And I would just say, just appeal for all of us to remember that that which stands the test of fire is what we want to focus on as we think about how ought we to live. Secondly, there's a great danger in uh, working with flammable materials. You see, God dwells among his people through his spirit. That's His spirit dwells within our hearts. And that is seen by our outward actions. So if our outward actions are based upon motives that produce building materials that will burn, then uh, we'll suffer loss. But if our outward actions are based upon motives. I mean, this really is a judgment of motives. And so, like what underlies our actions. And if it's based on motives that are pure, built, uh, your building material, like gold and silver and precious stones, that will stand the test of fire, that means, one, that the Spirit of God that dwells among us can be seen by our actions. And secondly, that the day when that day comes, there will be a reward for building with such a kind of materials. So uh, um, let us uh, let us stand together to pray. Our heavenly Father, we come to you just now, and we pray, Lord Jesus, bless us today with your uh, with discernment about how we ought to live. We think of how you have said that if someone destroys your temple, you will destroy him, and we we. We understand that you are not a vengeful God looking for people to destroy, but that you do provide for us the building material that will stand the test of fire. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, for each of us as we think about how we live that and the fact that you dwell within us, that we would build with material that will stand the test of fire. For it's it's such a, a blessing to be a part of this building that you're erecting.